Strange Brew Podcast, Season 1, Episode 88. We've got a lot to cover today. After no show on Friday, Brewers begin a tough nine-game road trip with three on the south side of Chicago. I was there on Friday and Saturday. Two tight wins there. They sweep them away with fastball Freddy on Sunday and have their largest lead of the year in the NL Central heading into an off day on Monday before Dodger Stadium tomorrow. We'll break all that down. I've got a review of Guaranteed Rate Park, formerly U.S. Cellular Park, formerly New Comiskey Park. It's actually more enjoyable than I thought it was going to be going in. We'll break all that down. I'll give you a real brief Indiana Dunes National Park grade as well. Because I was at the Brewer game at Guaranteed Rate Park on Friday, I missed seeing the preseason game Packers-Bengals live. I watched the All-22 compressed footage early this morning. There's a lot to like. From recent draft picks from Jordan Love, there are some things you don't love, but overall, a really fun first preseason game. Packers win 36-19, and we'll get you a real quick discussion on Aaron Rodgers' Episode 1 of Jets Hard Knocks last Tuesday, Episode 2, coming up tomorrow. Let's go. On the ground, a chance here. Durham to Hardy to first. In time! Yes! The Brewers yes! win! Yes! Here comes Melvin to the 25, to the 20, Gordon 15, 10, 5, touchdown! Wisconsin record-breaking run! Morgan, a smash up the middle, base hit the center! Here comes Gomez, around third, a throw, and the Brewers win! Here's the snap, he looks, he throws, it's hard! And there is your Super Bowl dagger. Booker the drive gets inside, leads in, backed away and stolen by Holiday. Phoenix has to foul on a pinnacle foul, throws it down. Swinging fly ball in the right center. Broxton is there, and they're the champions. They have done it. It's been a 50-year journey. Wisconsin, we've got a room at the top of the world tonight. The Milwaukee Bucks are NBA champions. Hey, I appreciate you downloading the episode as well. We haven't reset that in a while. If you can, if you would, like, rate, subscribe. I've seen now a few more ratings coming in on Spotify. That's where I listen to most of my podcast stuff, which you should never do if you work in terrestrial radio. It's so convenient. You can make your own playlist. There's no DJ blah, blah, blah at you. That's where I consume most of my podcasts. It was kind of nice on Sunday. We got back from Chicago late in the day on Sunday, and I went for a run. No big deal, but kind of a big deal. And I had not listened to my go-to Packer podcasts in a while. I kind of just take off. Once the season is done, I don't listen to a lot of Packers stuff. I move on with the seasons, move on to the Bucks podcast. Okay, that season's over. Listen to the recap podcast and some of the grading podcasts. Then I go away from those for a few months. It was like getting together with old friends with some of those Packer podcasts I had not listened to in a long, long time. Well, we appreciate you downloading the episodes. We had a listener in Quebec. Good fishing in Quebec. Our first, I believe, Canadian listener that we've had on the Spotify podcast so far on the podcast overall. We got a little America's hat action on the demographic breakdown on last week's podcast on Monday. It's been a little bit. Yeah, let's talk about the Packers right out of the gate. I did watch some of that compressed footage. You can get the game broke down in very limited segments. It's interesting we have access to the All-22 because our sister station in Green Bay, WTAQ, is a Packers station. So is WHBL in Sheboygan. They have up in Green Bay, though, a local Packer reporter. We've talked about Mark Daniels. I'm going to try to get him on the podcast at some point this year to help break things down. 
about some of the games or maybe a preview going into it. The thing is, I can't get him to talk gambling. <laughs> He's kind of an old school reporter. He doesn't like making picks. He doesn't like giving you any advice against the spread. Then what's the point, Mark? <laughs> Come on. Got to change with the times. He doesn't love doing that. Because of that, though, we have access to some of the All-22 coverage, which you need sort of a subscription for, I believe. It's very interesting when you watch an NFL game, and they go, what, three hours and 15, 330? And the NFL does not have the problem that Major League Baseball had where the games were just going on forever, and even diehard fans like myself were getting bored with them up until the pitch clock situation this year. NFL games could go for four and a half hours, and I don't bat an eye. When you actually get the compressed coverage of it, though, where it's just the action, that's all it is. There's no play clock winding down. By the way, one thing I loved about watching some of that footage from Friday, I didn't see a single instance. Maybe it happened if you watched the whole game. I didn't see a single instance of the play clock getting down to one and the offense in panic mode or calling a timeout. That's one thing I've already started to love about the Jordan Love era. I'd see that play clock meltdown. When you compress all that coverage, though, into just the meat of the game, the actual action of the game, a three-and-a-half-hour NFL game <laughs> boils down to about 12 minutes. It is shocking when you get that coverage. The number one thing coming out of the preseason, and the number one thing all year, the whole story all year, this team is going to go as Jordan Love goes. Will the defense be better than it was last year? That's a question mark. What are they going to do about kicking? We're going to talk about that in a second. There are a lot of variables coming into this year. The number one variable, though, is Jordan Love. What do they have in Jordan Love? I thought he looked pretty good. I know some fans were upset I saw on Twitter, and then I saw it on the film that I watched. And not that I'm an expert or anything breaking this down. I'm not like, who was the guy on ESPN that always talked about being in the film room? Jaws, Ron Jaworski. Is he still there? Every time they went to him, I spent 27 hours yesterday in the film room. I'm not breaking it down like that, but just what I saw, I saw the two throws people were upset about. The throw, the deep ball to Watson, which to me would just look like a fantastic play by the safety. There was the deep ball down the near sideline. If that safety doesn't range over, and keep in mind the Bengals and Packers are having joint practices which means they kind of know what the team is going to do. They've been practicing against each other all week. I had heard from some beat reporters that they ran that similar play during practice, so the Bengals were kind of prepared for the look that they were getting. Safety ranges all the way over across the field to deflect that pass. If he doesn't do that, it looked like that was going to land right in Watson's breadbasket. Does he get in the end zone or is he knocked out of bounds at the 10-yard line or the 15 or whatever? Who knows? To me, that's just a really good play by a defensive player. The other team gets paid, too. You're not going to make every throw because the other team has elite defenders or good defenders that are going to make plays on the ball. That one I wouldn't lay at Jordan Love's feet. The one that he missed to Musgrave, the rookie tight end, was just a flat-out miss. That was a, if I can get my Mike Holmgren rocket ball. No more rocket balls, please. We'll leave a space for that here. We'll see if I remember to go back and put it in. Are you all right? Yeah. No more rocket oh. balls, please. Oh, I was chained up. No, I know. Did I remember future John? That was a Brett Favre, Mike Holmgren, no more rocket balls, please. And that pass was right after the misfire to Watson that was deflected by the safety. I wonder if he wasn't just a little gassed up because of that miss and the opportunity that went by the wayside and then just put too much on it and missed Musgrave. If you're going to get upset about a handful of missed passes, yes, that could have been a big play. Let's keep in mind Brett Favre missed passes, Aaron Rodgers missed passes. Aaron Rodgers missed a ton of passes last season. 
Jordan Love, in his first full year as a starter, is going to miss passes, and he's going to miss passes that could have led to big gains and could have led to touchdowns. The best quarterbacks in the league do. He's going to miss them, too. If you're going to get upset about one bad miss, your grading skill might be too tough. I was raised in a Catholic household. I went to Catholic elementary and Catholic middle school. The Catholic middle and elementary school grading scale is about as tough as it gets. You might be even a notch higher than that if you're looking at Love's production from Friday and saying, well, he missed those two passes and that's all you're focused on. On the Catholic grading school system, if anybody out there can identify with this, I'm pretty sure a 94, at least a 93 was a B plus. You get a 93 on a test, a 93 out of 100 possible points, and it was a B. <laughs> That's how tough it was. I remember going to public school at North High in Sheboygan after eight years of parochial school education and that grading system and thinking, oh, my God, if I get a 68, it's a C? This is going to be easy street. This is going to be a piece of cake. If you look at what I looked at from Jordan Love on Friday and you're mostly upset about the one deflected pass and the one missed to Musgrave and you're concerned about that, then I think you're just missing out. He was composed. He looked under control, which is all you're asking for. He was making the correct reads. One thing about that Musgrave read, he made the right read, right? I mean, he missed the pass, but that was the guy that he was supposed to go to. That's good. He's going through his progressions the way he should. 7 of 10, 46 yards. The touchdown pass was a dot to Romeo Dobbs. There was a lot to like about it. And let me tell you something real quick. As a side note, we'll bleed together some of the segments here. We're going to get to the Brewers and the White Sox and all that in a second. Being in Chicago for a couple of weeks, the second game we went to on Saturday was right after the Bear preseason game on Saturday. The Bears played at Soldier Field at noon, and then the White Sox played at 6.15, I think was first pitch on Saturday night. And you could tell, based on body language, that some Bears and White Sox fans had a double-dip day out in the sun. They were out by about 7 o'clock, 7.15, just dead to rights. Between Friday and Saturday at White Sox Stadium, and especially on Saturday coming off of the Bear game at Soldier Field, and Fields had good numbers. Fields was, what, 3 of 3? Both were screen passes that that went a long way, but he was perfect. He had 130 yards and two touchdowns. We've talked about this on the podcast a lot. The boogeymen, the boogeymen, not man, men, Brett Favre and Aaron Rodgers, both of them, the boogeymen are gone. And like we've discussed, other fan bases in this division are drooling at the prospect of Packer fans being down, of Packer fans having to suffer through a bad quarterback or two or three. Those fan bases that have watched us as Packer fans celebrate and throw parades and division titles and win a couple of Super Bowls and have Hall of Fame quarterback play, they think our time is up. There is not a single Bear White Sox fan that I ran into or Bear Cub fan that I ran into over the weekend that is not convinced that Jordan Love is going to be trashed because there's no way they're going to get three. There's no way they're going to get three in a row. Not a chance. They get Favre and then Rodgers and then Love's going to be good. No chance. And they're also convinced that Fields in year three, by the way, is finally going to break out. The optimism is running wild in Chicago. Let me tell you this. If Jordan Love goes into Soldier Field in week one and he throws four touchdowns and the Packers win that game 31-24 or whatever and Love has a fantastic game and Fields throws a crippling interception late, that fan base may be done. If If Jordan Love is good, if it turns out that Jordan Love is good and he goes into Soldier Field and starts his part of his career on the road with a win against the Bears, 
it may crush them. I'm not. I'm concerned actually for some Bears fans in my life if that's the way it goes. If Love is good and he walks into Soldier Field and wins that game, they are not mentally prepared for that. They are so convinced that their time is now, that Fields' time is now, and there's no chance the Packers get a third great quarterback in a row. It is going to crush them if if Jordan Love walks into Soldier Field after Aaron Rodgers leases up on the I still own you on Soldier Field and he passes that lease on to Jordan Love. It may crush them. They may stop watching sports. They may stop watching football if that's the way it goes in week one. They are so convinced of a week one win and the Bears' ascension to the top of this division. They are not fully capable of digesting a world where Jordan Love is good and the Packers continue to own the Bears for 10 more years. They're not ready for it. Anyway, Love looked, I thought, really good in what we saw on Friday. What was it, three drives or a couple of drives? Sean Clifford. And there have been rumors going into Friday about how good he's been in practice. He showcased that. He was, what are the numbers here, 20 of 26 through two picks. Not necessarily his fault. 20 of 26, 208 yards, a touchdown and two picks. He showcased accuracy. He was able to get out of the pocket and make plays with his feet. I watched a lot of Penn State as a degenerate gambler. I watched a lot of college football on Saturday. And we watched a lot of Penn State when Sean Clifford was the starting quarterback playing against the Badgers. I've never seen Sean Clifford look like that. It was not a shock, but it was a bit of a stunner when they took him in the fifth round. As we talked about on Monday's podcast, Clifford was a guy who a lot of people thought was either going to go undrafted or go in the seventh round. There was some surprise because of that that the Packers went out in the fifth round and got him. As I said on Monday, clearly there was something that they liked about him. He's shown that so far in practice. He showcased it on family night, and he showcased it again Friday. He solidly looks like the backup now. As I said last Monday, I was convinced for most of the offseason at some point this team was going to get a veteran backup quarterback because you're going into a year with a real unknown in Jordan Love. It would be good to have a guy who's got six, seven years of experience, who started a few games, a Ryan Fitzpatrick, if you will, a Fitzpatrick model to put in there as a guy that you could throw in for a few games if someone gets hurt or if it's a real rocky start for Love, maybe you give him a couple of weeks to get his wits about him. I thought that that was going to happen, not with what we've read about and seen from Sean Clifford. He looked excellent on Saturday. Now, I'm not in the Clifford over love camp. You saw some of that happening on Twitter. I mean, guys, what are we doing here? Bump the brakes. I did see a little bit of that leaking through from the Packer fan base on Twitter on Friday and Saturday, especially on Saturday after the rewatch for some folks, that maybe he's the guy. Maybe he is. I, I don't know. But not right now, not in the short term. You have to give love the entire year and probably part of next year, too, unless he's really good or really bad out of the gate to make that assessment. There were some folks, though, 10, 15, 20 percent, I'd say, that were on that Clifford over love train. That's how good he looked. I would say it was a nice night overall if you're Brian Gutekunst. I don't think it's a secret that some of the bad talent that have come through Green Bay, the talent deficiency that we saw in 2016, 2017, 2018, Ted Thompson did not have a lot of good drafts there in a row. Goody's first draft was 2018, did not go well. He had some successes in 2019. It's been hit or miss. Obviously, if Jordan Love is a player, is a Pro Bowl player, he's a guy who's going to give you that kind of talent. That changes your entire perception of the 2020 draft and really changes Goody's legacy. It's kind of all on what Jordan Love does. However, if you look at 2022 and 2023, some of the guys that were popping in this preseason game, Devontae Wyatt, who looked good on family night, he looked good on Friday. Christian Watson looks like a star in the making. Sean Ryan, they've had that Achilles heel of third-round draft picks. 
didn't play at all last year, his rookie year. He looked much improved on the offensive line. Romeo Dobbs had the touchdown catch. He looks like he's going to break out. Zach Tom in the fourth round in 2022. He's going to be a starter somewhere. They can use him anywhere. He's a Swiss Army knife. Is he going to be the center? Is he going to be a guard? Could you put him at right tackle? He was great anywhere you put him. And then even in the seventh round, Samari Toure is a guy who's probably going to be their third or fourth wideout. He had a nice night, too. That's from the 2022 draft. Luke Musgraves from this year's draft looks like a guy. He looks like a real good, solid player. Jaden Reed looks like he's going to be a great player. Tucker Kraft, the other tight end, had a good night. Clifford had a good night. Dontavian Wicks had over 100 yards receiving. In the seventh round, Carrington Valentine looked excellent on Friday and looks like a guy who's going to give them valuable playing time at either safety or corner. Anthony Johnson, the late seventh rounder, he looks like a guy who's going to be a legitimate player in the secondary as a safety. A lot to love about what we saw from some of the 2022-2023 draft picks. One thing not to love, no pun intended, Anders Carlson. <laughs> this kicking situation, where's my not great, Bob? Not great, Bob. Not great. Not great, Bob. Now, he hit his first three, and then he shanked a couple of extra points. We've talked about in camp, it's been very, again, hit or miss, waka waka. It's been where he's missing his first three, then he makes two of three, then he makes three of three, then he makes one of three. Just not a lot of consistency, which you're going to have from a rookie kicker. Anders Carlson's brother, Daniel Carlson, is one of the best kickers in the NFL. And let's not forget, he had a really bad day in Green Bay many years ago, and the Vikings just outright cut him when he couldn't hit a couple of game winners. He goes on to Oakland. He's been fantastic Pro Bowl and first-team All-Pro. Kickers are going to have their ups and downs. I said a few podcasts ago, and I stick by it, I don't think the Mason Crosby era is done. I think the Packers have been very intentional about the way they have not totally written off Mason Crosby, the way maybe he is in his mind and the way his wife Molly has been on Twitter here and there for the past month or so, talking about Green Bay in retrospect and some of the great times they had, everything in the past tense. The Packers have not done that to Mason Crosby. In the perfect world of Brian Gutekunst, Anders Carlson is going to get it figured out this week. He's going to have a perfect preseason game number two on Saturday and a perfect preseason game number three, and you're going to live or die with some of the idiosyncrasies of having a rookie kicker. You're just going to have that no matter what round you get a rookie kicker in. It's very difficult for somebody to come in the way Crosby did in 2007 and just start hitting and not stop really or hit at an 80% or 85% clip. You're going to ride that wave a little bit. It is getting to a concerning point, though, where you only have three preseason games. The timeline is different now than it was in the past where you had four preseason games and about a month and a half to assess. You've got one in the rearview mirror, missed two extra points. It hasn't been good in camp so far. I'm just saying. I'm not saying. I'm just saying. I don't think that Brian Gutekunst has deleted Mason Crosby's number from his phone as of yet. He's not going to have to ask somebody at the front desk, hey, what's Mason's number again? He's got that bad boy saved. And the beauty of Mason is he's been doing this for so long, it doesn't look like he's going to sign anywhere else. That would change plans, obviously. If he's in shape, and what that means for a kicker, I guess I don't even, I don't even really know. If he's in kicking shape, he's a guy you could probably call the Monday heading into week one. If things continue to be inconsistent or you're just not sure what this Carlson guy is going to bring you and he doesn't get it turned around the next few weeks, I feel you could call Mason that Monday, get him in for a physical, get him in practice that week, and he could be out there kicking in week one in Chicago. He's familiar with almost every stadium in the NFL. He knows how things go. He knows the prep he has to do. He is a Packer Hall of Famer, going to be a Packer Hall of Famer for a reason. He's one of the great all-time kickers for a reason. 
He's a guy, if you need him last second, they can go to him. So they have a little bit of time, and maybe you bring in more competition. There are certainly a lot of question marks around Anders Carlson at the moment. It's a shame he had to kick two more times after he made the first three. You feel like if you could have had three out of three, then you hit practice, you hit the ground running in practice, but he had those two misses, and it just has not been good in camp so far for Anders Carlson. That's one thing not to like. But in terms of the game itself, it's preseason. Who you're all playing against for the Bengals, they're not playing their ones either. You can't take everything completely seriously, but I think there was a lot to like from Jordan Love. I think there was a lot to like from the two most recent drafts, this year's draft and the 2022 draft. Some of those guys really seem to be progressing in the right direction. A lot to like in that 36-19 to win, and then we get set for preseason game number two, which will be coming up on Saturday. Real quickly, <laughs> Aaron Rodgers hard knocks. This was exactly what I expected. Aaron Rodgers, all whatever, two weeks after they announced it's going to be the Jets on hard knocks. Oh, this is terrible. I can't believe it. It's such a distraction. We don't want it this way. They're forcing this on us. And then minute one, episode one, we basically get this. It's all about me, me, me. Please look at me. I am so pretty. Love me. Want me. Literally the first scene of episode one, he is, he's got his mic mic'd up and he's looking at one of the Hard Knocks producers and he said, is my mic good or do you need to check on it? And then he says, I'm going to, we're going to get you some entertaining bleep today. That's what he says under his breath as he walks by. He loves it. He he loves it. Look at me. Look at how cool and chill I am. What was most interesting about episode one in terms of reaction, you knew what it was going to be. I hope Hard Knocks gets back to more of what Hard Knocks is, where you learn a lot about the guys battling for the 52nd or 53rd roster spot. You get a little bit of the primetime player coverage, but a lot of Hard Knocks revolves around the stories of some of these lesser-known guys and how they're battling to make a roster, or they were cut three times last year. Maybe this is the year that they can make it off the practice squad or whatever. You saw a little bit of that. You knew with the Jets component and with Aaron Rodgers that that was going to be the bulk of Episode 1, and it was. And yes, Aaron Rodgers came off as a cool guy, hanging out with Leif Schreiber and being a good mentor for Zach Wilson. And he's got the handshake with Sauce Gardner and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, he came off as a great guy. The interesting thing on Twitter was a lot of the national perspective was, well, see, Aaron Rodgers, he's not a bad guy. It wasn't his fault that things didn't work out in Green Bay. Look at how much fun he's having and look at how team-oriented he is and how he's getting along with everybody. Well, Guys, the camera is on. (laughs) Of course he's going to act like that. You're not going to see any of the bad stuff. Aaron Rodgers is aware that there are cameras around. It's like if you're trying to bust somebody for cheating and you film them and they know you're filming them. Some person goes out to the club and you're suspecting them of cheating. Remember that TV show Cheaters back in the day? What a show. Joey Greco got stabbed on a boat. If you haven't seen it, YouTube it. It's just an amazing show. If you suspect somebody of cheating... And you tell them that I'm going to be filming you in the club tonight (laughs) to try to catch you in the act. You think they're not going to be on their best behavior? I thought those takes were so wild. This is not hidden camera. (laughs) This is not something where he doesn't know that cameras are there. And it's a major product of the NFL, Hard Knocks. He knows the camera's there. Of course he's going to be cool and chill and put his best foot forward. There are plenty of things and seasons we loved Aaron Rodgers. It just got very stale toward the end of it. And got a lot like that clip, that Seinfeld clip we just played. And he said some weird things, and it kind of became more about him and his battles with Mike McCarthy and then his battles with Goody and all that kind of stuff. And over the course of however long, 17 years. Well, yeah, of course, in a new environment with cameras on him, of course he's going to look like the cool, chill guy, and it's not going to be his fault, the reason that everything came apart. Of course. 
Episode 2 is on the way tomorrow for HBO Hard Knocks Jets Edition. All right, let's talk a little Brew Crew. What a series to start this road trip. Tough road trip. We've discussed ad nauseum and complained about the Brewer inability to beat bad teams consistently, which just kills them when you're trying to get space in the division. Finally, they were able to take care of business and get a sweep against a bad team. They had to earn it. None of these games outside of Sunday and even late Sunday things got a little tight. None of these were easy. First of all, I was there on Friday and Saturday. My wife and I are trying to get to every baseball stadium at some point. That one will be more achievable. The National Park one is tough. We also hit up the Indiana Dunes for sort of a mini vacation. If you want to go, if you're in the southeastern Wisconsin area, we record this in Sheboygan. I know not everybody's from where we're recording this. It's about a three-hour drive. It was a 45-minute drive from our hotel in Chicago, just on the outside of the south side of Chicago. 45 minutes, real easy. It was an easy way to put a pin in the board, go to a national park, If you're from the Sheboygan area, the dunes in Indiana are very similar to the Kohler Andre dunes. Maybe a little bit bigger. We did about a five-mile hike that was nice on West Beach. It is tough. It's hiking in sand, as you might expect with the dunes. It's very sandy out here. We're more used to the parks that we've been to, and that was our 13th or 14th national park. When we do hikes at national parks, more often than not, we're talking about mountain hikes or rock scrambles, things like that. I had not gone on a four- or five-mile hike in sand. My calves were burning. After that, we did a five-mile hike, and then we camped out on the beach, which is tough for a redhead, for about an hour. And it was pretty packed in. We went on Saturday. So Saturday afternoon, summer, of course, there are going to be a lot of people there. But it was an enjoyable time. Plus, you get to drive through Gary, Indiana, which is always fun. So just uh, make us appreciate what we have. <laughs> Roll them up. Gary, Indiana, beautiful this time of year. <laughs> it's a beautiful time of year. How can you pass up that opportunity? That was a good amount of fun, though. If you are a National Park person or you're just looking to get a quick long weekend and you're from the Milwaukee, Sheboygan, whatever, Manitowoc, Fond du Lac area, it's a real easy three-hour. Make a four-day weekend out of it, three-hour drive down there, southern part of Lake Michigan. It was nice. It's a new National Park. It was newly minted in 2021. We did that, and then we were able to scratch off going to the south side of Chicago. (laughs) Always entertaining. You're really on the edge of your seat the entire time. You never know what's going to happen on the south side of Chicago. No, it's not bad. I know people always get freaked out about going to Chicago, especially the south side where there can be some tough areas. Not around the park, though. If you're just taking an Uber or taking the red line down to the park, everything around that's built up pretty well. If you follow the crowd, you're not going to run into anything. Believe me, I didn't run into anything. And nothing screams suburban Brewer fan more than me walking around. If you just follow the crowds, and there were a lot of Brewer fans, given where the Brewers are in the standings and where the White Sox are in the standings, you assume there would be a lot of Brewer fans there. There were quite a few on Friday, more on Saturday, and I wasn't there on Sunday, but it sounded like an even bigger Brewer contingency on Sunday. Friday was Elvis night. Apparently, the White Sox have been doing an Elvis night for over 20 years, and it's one of their biggest nights at the ballpark. When we were walking into the stadium on Friday, I saw one guy dressed up in total Elvis garb, which you kind of write off. Then I saw a second one, and I thought, huh, that's kind of weird. But two Elvis people, I feel like anytime you get thirty or 40,000 people in a room, there are going to be two Elvis people there. It's just a part of it. And then more and more and more, and then we found out, yes, it is. it was Elvis night, which is a thing for the White Sox that they've been doing since the early 90s, one of their biggest nights. Despite the fact that the team is should be in last place, if not for how bad the Royals are, there are 25 games under 500. It was packed on Friday with it being Elvis night. We got great seats on, on Friday and Saturday, really. Friday, we were a couple of rows, two rows behind the Brewer dugout. A lot of Brewer fans down there. 
I will say this about Guaranteed Rate Park. It's not bad. I expected it to be on the lower tier of my favorite stadiums. I'd put it more in the middle. Three out of five. If I had to rate this podcast in Guaranteed Rate Park, three out of five, perfectly adequate. It's a perfectly adequate park. Things that I like about it, the home run celebration is cool, as tough as those were, because we went to two very close games where you didn't want the White Sox to hit home runs. Comiskey Park, the original Comiskey Park, is the first ever exploding scoreboard stadium. That's where they get their home run celebration from now. That's one of their signatures. That and the Black Sox scandal of 1919. That's where they get all of their exploding scoreboard stuff from. That was late 60s, early 70s, the first one ever. When they hit a home run, they sort of do, in honor of that, an exploding scoreboard celebration with fireworks, different colored fireworks. It's a pretty cool home run celebration, I have to say. That was enjoyable. They have so much food at guaranteed rate, more food stops than I think I've ever seen. When you walk down the main concourse, you can't go two steps. There is either a regular concession stand to your right or left, and then there's some other food stand to your right or left on the left side. You are never not within arm's reach of food. I love that. Their go-to, their signature item is what what a buddy in college I had, literally his name was Buddy, hockey player up in Stevens Point. He was a big White Sox fan. He called it a bowl of corn. It's Mexican corn. He called it Operation Bowl of Corn. He loved it. Bowl of corn. We went on Friday, and we waited too long. We went up in the third inning to get a bowl of corn. They were out. Every stand, and they have a lot of bowl of corn stands. I think it's Elotes is how you say it, E-L-O-T-E-S. I think uh, maybe not close. We'll find out. Send your fan mail. Send your disgruntled letters to P.O. Box. I think it's Elotes is how you say it. Elotes, Elotes. There are so many of them. We went up in the third inning. Every single one of them was sold out. That's how popular the Mexican corn is, the bowl of corn at Guaranteed Ray Park. We made sure on Saturday to get in the park an hour early so we could get it. We got two of them. They're so good. They shave the corn with a knife right off in front of you. They put it in a dish with mayo and butter and some cheese on top, of course, and a little spice to it. So good. A 10 out of 10. It was, honestly, it was really, really tasty. That was as advertised. But as you walk through, you can't go two steps without having a beer option or a food option. I love that. That was a great part of Guaranteed Rate Park as well. They also have a tailgating culture. It's odd. I've been to Wrigley Field so many times. There's no tailgate culture there because you've got all of Wrigleyville. You're all you're surrounded by bars and restaurants. That's where people pregame and postgame. They actually have parking lots on the south side of Chicago outside of Guaranteed Rate Park. We went to a strip of bars past the parking lots, some of the heritage restaurants and taverns on that side, a whole strip of them to get food before Friday's game. I got myself a beef. You got to get a beef if you're going to be down in Chicago with the sweet peppers. If you want to call me 10-ply, that's fine. I'm a sweet peppers guy, not a spicy peppers guy on the beef. Uh, that was good. You had to walk past a lot of tailgating, though. I did not know that. They have two pretty big parking lots, and as we were walking past those to get to the restaurants and then back to the park, a lot of people out there with the George Foreman, or not the George Foremans, the Smoky Joes. Don't bring a George Foreman to a tailgate. With the Smoky Joes and getting the charcoal going, they got the tents out. It was very Miller Park, Amfam Field-esque. There was a real tailgate culture there, which I appreciated. That was nice. Things I didn't like, the concourse is totally closed off on a hot night. And Friday was a hot, muggy night where it was still in the low 80s with 80% humidity. There's no air movement. There just is not a lot of air movement. You're just sitting and sweating if it's a really uncomfortable, hot, sticky night at guaranteed rate. And with all the fans there on Friday for Elvis night, it was really hot and you were really packed in. That was not great. 
Eh, the coloring of the stadium. It's just a black, of course, with the White Sox. You just got a black exterior, black interior. Nothing that's going to blow you away there. I didn't win the 50-50. I would put that down as a negative. Didn't win the 50-50. Put that in the negative column as well. And overall, I don't know, 6 out of 10, 6 one, six two out of 10. It wasn't bad. I was expecting to not enjoy it at all, and there were some elements that I really did enjoy. And a couple of those elements were Brewer wins. Rallied on Friday for the 7-6 win. Long game. That was a throwback game. That was about three and a half hours. It went into extra innings. Mark Canna came up big, got the go-ahead run to make it 7-6, and then they got it shut down for the win on Friday. That was their third straight extra innings game and their second straight 7-6 in extras win. Then on Saturday, they were down 2 nothing. rallied for three runs, did just enough. Devin got everything shut down, his 28th save. Woodruff was awesome on Saturday. Burns had a tough start on Friday. It was a bad pitching matchup on Friday. Neither pitcher between, who was it for the White Sox? They had a good guy on the mound on Friday, too. Uh, both pitchers on Friday were walking a bunch of guys, giving up some solid contact. Woodruff was really good. It looked like he might be a tough luck loser on Saturday, but he was more than solid in his second start back off of the IL. Again, the offense did just enough to get the win in a 3-2 to win. Then fastball Freddy on Sunday. We are seeing a stretch of games, probably six or seven starts in a row now. This is as good as we've seen Freddy, as good as we've seen him, especially the last four or five starts. Striking guys out left and right, not giving up any runs. He's got a 1.9, I believe, ERA in his past five starts. Even when you look back to 2021, when he had a 10-5 and record and a 2.7 or 2.8 ERA that year, and everybody was having a great year that year for the starting staff, I don't even think he was he was as good then as he has been in this most recent snapshot. He is so locked in, and the offense kind of broke out for this offense. Seven runs, Carlos Santana finally did something. Canna and Santana both had pretty good weekends. Three-run bomb that blew the game open. Yelly had a two-RBI single in there on Sunday as well. It was 7 nothing. They were knocking on the door of a shutout with two outs in the ninth inning, but J.C. Mejia could not completely shut the door. It ends up being a 7-3 game where Yoel Piamps had to get warmed up. He didn't love that at the end of the game on Sunday. But this team has struggled with bad teams. The A's, the Tigers, the, who was the other team? The Rockies, the Nationals. To finally get a bad team and to take care of business, even though this was not three blowouts, you really had to grind out a couple of wins and then you got a more comfortable one on Sunday. That was good. It was good to see. Cubs lost on Sunday. The Reds split a doubleheader with the Pirates on Sunday, which means the Milwaukee Brewers have their largest lead in the NL Central of the entire year. At three and a half games, no team until Sunday, no NL Central leader has had a bigger than two and a half game lead until now. Three and a half game lead on the Cubs, three and a half game lead on the Reds of the day off today. Everybody's got off today. Cubs have off today. Reds have off today. Brewers have off today. Brewers continue their road trip in L.A. Now, things are going to get tough here. You've got a three and a half game cushion. That feels good. Enjoy that today. Soak it in today and soak it in tomorrow before the start of the first game against L.A. Because... There's a chance things are going to get really tight again. The Cubs' schedule starting tomorrow gets very weak. Now, they have the White Sox at home. There is the intercity rivalry there where you maybe throw records out. They've got two at home against Chicago, then three at home against the Royals. Then they're in Detroit. They've got to run a four series in a row before they come to AmFam Field where they could easily win every series and they could sweep every series. Meanwhile, the Brewers have six very tough games, three in L.A., We know they don't play well at Dodger Stadium. 
They're going to have to deal with Kershaw on Wednesday, not Tuesday. These are all late start times. They're all 9 or 9.15 start times, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. The pitching matchups aren't ideal. The most winnable pitching matchup to me is Thursday. You've got Corbin Burns against Lance Lynn. It's going to be tougher maybe on Tuesday, Wednesday. If you can find some way to win this series, then you're really sitting pretty on this road trip. It's going to be tough, though. And then you go to Texas. I have not looked at the probables. I'm assuming you're going to have to deal with Max Scherzer here. Let me get to the schedule. Texas and Houston right now battling for the AL West title. Texas, one of the best teams in Major League Baseball. Of course, yep, Scherzer, final game of that series. You've got Hauser going tomorrow, Tuesday. You've got Miley versus Kershaw Wednesday. Ah, could be one. Miley's been good in those West Coast stadiums. He's been really good overall all year. Then you've got Burns versus Lynn. Woodruff goes on Friday in Texas. Peralta goes Saturday in Texas. And then you do have a Hauser-Scherzer matchup on Sunday. How has Scherzer been doing for the Rangers so far since they picked him up at the deadline? And pretty good. Pretty good. Couple of wins and only three runs given up since the Rangers acquired him in two starts for Texas. It's tough. You've got that six-game stretch matching up with a soft six-game stretch or eight-game stretch, really, or nine-game stretch for the Cubs. There's a chance for the Cubs to make up some of that ground. That's why you like building up as big of a cushion as you possibly can. That's why you have to beat teams like the White Sox, which the Brewers were able to do over the weekend. They're sitting at 65-54 and 54 with that three-and-a-half game lead entering an off day today. I think we hit everything there. Preseason, nothing really badger-related yet. I know high school football gets cranked up on Friday. Hard knocks, got all that. We will get back after it on Friday morning. We will be discussing whatever the result is of that Brewer-Dodgers series and then get you set for Brewers and the Rangers starting on Friday. We'll get you prepped for preseason game number two on Saturday on Friday's podcast as well. Have a happy, safe work week. We'll chat with you then. 